Morning, church. Morning to those of you watching online as well on this uh, playoff weekend. But you now all have an extra 24 hours, so I expect you will be paying extra attention to the sermon now because you have uh, nothing to worry about. You got a whole day to get ready. We are in the series that video introduced. It's, this is the second week of our second part of the study of the book of Acts, which we started last September. And this is a study of the early church. Many of you know that, or some of you know that. But this is, I hope it is for you and for me and for us, more than a history lesson. We're not here to learn history. We believe this is history, including the church and the death and resurrection of Jesus at the heart of it. But we're here to learn something about how to be the church. So we're, we're using this history to inspire us to learn how to be the church. We're in Acts chapter 6 in the second segment uh, of our series called A New Community and sort of still these early chapters of Acts and we are in the second sermon of this series uh, this morning. Now Acts chapter 6, where we're going to be for our minutes, so you can open up there or turn on, is you might say a watermark, watershed moment if you were to read the book of Acts um, from beginning to end. And it really is a watershed a shed moment for a couple reasons, but it will, you'll see twice in these few verses, it's going to talk about growth, maybe even use the word explosive growth or rapid growth. So it's, it's about growth, and it's interesting, should be to us, because this growth happens even though the church has experienced, if you've read the first five chapters, a lot of persecution and opposition. So it's one thing, you know, when things just grow because they're watered and, and the environment is good, but it's another thing when they grow, when one thing after another is trying to kind of shut them down. Some of the main leaders have been thrown in jail already in this story if you've been following it. So it's, it's had this opposition, but it's actually experienced a rapid growth. That's the word of the passage. We'll get there in a minute. Yet, I want to say this, it requires, the heart of my sermon, this growth, if, if the church is going to experience the growth it does here in Acts 6 and beyond, it requires the church to change the way that it functions, right? It's a big part. This is why it's a watershed moment. They're not just going from strength to strength. They're realizing, okay, if we want to go from here to there, we have to start functioning differently. We need to draw a new map, in a manner of speaking, of how to be the church, and this, although this is a very historic moment for the book of Acts, for the church of Jesus in its, in its growth and its development, it has a lot to say to us because every church will experience the challenge outlined in these passages. Every church that wants to grow will have to, to make these kinds of changes in every era, including this era and our church. So that's the setup. Acts chapter 6 and a message titled, The Challenge of Growth. The challenge of growth. And I'm going to begin uh, in the very last verse of chapter 5 because it's, it's, it, it helps tee us up. But I'm going to read just through the first seven verses of chapter 6. Follow along as I read. Day after day, this is the speaking of the apostles. In, uh, day after day, in the temple courts 
and from house to house, so both in where they were starting to meet, which is still on the edges of the Jewish temple, and house to house, now the church is sort of growing outside of that area in the temple courts, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Then and now that's the engine of a growing church, the gospel message. Now, in those days, the days of this preaching and growing, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We talked a little bit about that food program last Sunday. So the twelve gathered, the twelve being the apostles, all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. It's a shorthand for the food program. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Most important phrase in this whole passage. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, summary statement, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly okay so something positive happened because of this decision and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith okay the challenge of growth a couple things that i think we learned the church learns and it's in luke is sort of sharing this learning about the first church the church in jerusalem where this all started but something that i think we need to learn every growing church needs to learn, and that is this. We need to embrace a new vision, okay, by, by that mean, of the church. So this isn't, they're not just solving a problem. They are solving a problem. There's a complaint going on here. It has to do with the food program. Yes, they're solving a problem, but there's more here. And we'll see that today, but you'll see that all the more as this book goes forward, why Acts chapter 6 is so important. They need to embrace a new vision of the church. And this happens in, in a lot of things in life. You know, whether it's marriage, which is a great, long, rich experience in life, right? What your vision of is marriage. I'm looking at Sherry. I don't mean to be looking at you. But what, 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 what your vision is of marriage um, when you get married maybe is not the same vision you have five and 25 years later, okay? You need a new vision. And the same thing is true for the church of Jesus Christ, okay? Just like young couples... Not all, but some. Imagine on the day of their wedding that there will be no conflict in their marriage. They say, well, my parents had it and my friends have it, but we won't have it. Just like some young couples, don't raise your hand, maybe thought on their wedding day that they wouldn't experience conflict. There are many people in the church of Jesus Christ, including this one, I'm sure, who think that how the church, the church is supposed to be sort of this harmonious experience from beginning to end. And if the church is not harmonious, there's something wrong with the people or the organization or the church because the church is supposed to be harmonious in all of its expressions. And I would say this to you uh, gracefully and humbly that both of set of those romantics 
okay, the young couple and the church person are grossly wrong in their assessment. Because any organization, marriage is an organization of two people and then eventually children, any organization, including the church, will absolutely experience conflict. Why is that, Rob? Because every organization has people in it and people, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. This is the, so everybody knows this is common sense. You have a business. You're running a family. Okay? But in the church of Jesus Christ, of course we will experience conflict. The question isn't will we experience conflict or when we will experience conflict, but how we choose to deal with the conflict. Will that conflict, this is just one example here, this, this conflict with this, the food program, will that conflict break you? breaks churches, breaks marriages, conflict? Will it, will it kind of be the beginning of the end? Or will it help make you, not just survival, make you into a better church? Now, what is the conflict here? Let's talk about it for a minute. And, and a study Bible probably helps. And maybe, this, I hope if you get one thing out of this sermon, just study your Bible. Because even in these seven verses, if you don't do a little homework, you miss half the message, Okay. What the heck is a, can I say what the heck? I just did. Anyway, what, what, I'm Levander's looking at me like, mm, okay, all right. What is a Hellenistic Jew? What is a Hebraic Jew? These terms are never used except here. But like a good writer, they're trying to get your attention and they're saying a lot in a little bit, but if you study your Bible, look at your Bible notes, you'll figure it out, but it's important, it's important. So what's the problem here? The conflict has to do with the food program. The conflict, right, the, the, the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The, and this isn't just some small thing. Maybe to us, we have many things going on in the life of this church. We don't necessarily live in a day in this community. Different churches are different where, where, where a food security is a big issue. But here, the food program was the most important program in the church. It defined the church. We talked about this last Sunday. So it's very, very important. So what, what's, what's the problem here? And who are these people called Hellenistic Jews? Let me tell you who they are. Make a very important point. Hellenism is a, is a term, that's, it's a shorthand for culture. Some of you know that. Hellenism, think the Greek culture which preceded the Roman culture. The Roman Empire took over the Greek Empire, but the culture stayed the same. It's a shorthand. But really what the writer's telling, he's not even talking to you so much about the, the culture except for language. Because language is a key part of culture. What they're saying is there's a bunch of widows now here at the DeFood program who are Greek speakers. That's what they're trying to tell you. And these Greek speakers who do, are complaining about the Hebraic Jews who spoke Aramaic, most likely, which was the language of Jesus and the language of Palestine at that day. And there was the problem, and they're saying, we're not getting the food that everyone else is getting. Now, why, ask yourself the question, why put this in there? Why not just say a bunch of widows were having a problem with each other? Because he's making a, why is this problem, doesn't happen before Acts chapter 6, why is there all of a sudden such a large number of Hellenistic Jews, big enough that they're actually a group that's causing an issue that gets mentioned in Acts chapter 6. Well, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. It's actually a problem that was created by a great opportunity, which was the growth of the church. When the church of Jesus Christ started, we talked about this last um, fall, Pentecost what Pentecost happened, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was a great Jewish festival. And God, in the providence of God, in the wisdom and sovereignty of God, he said, listen, I'm going to start the church. 
And I'm going to start it, hmm, he's up in heaven, on that day. Why am I going to start it on that day? Because on that day, people don't know this, but all the people are going to come together as they do every year in the fall, and they're going to come to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire, all these Jewish people anyway. They're going to come in to celebrate Let's call it Easter, Christmas, in this case, Pentecost. They're just coming in. They have no idea what's going to happen, but it's their natural um, experience to come into Jerusalem. And when they come, the Father says to the Spirit, I want you to go down there and blow their mind. And I want you to go down there and celebrate the message of Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus. And in that moment, when all these people happen to be in one place, we're going to start the church of Jesus. So that's what happens. And a majority, uh, many of those people, right, Acts chapter 2, we looked at this in the, in the September, many of those people, they were Jewish, that's why they're called Hellenistic Jews, but they didn't live in Palestine. They didn't even speak the language of Palestine. They only came there once or twice or three times a year, like in this case, but when they came this time, they thought they just had enough food for three days. They just had enough clothes. They just found a, an Airbnb. They weren't going to stay very long. But what happened was they never dreamed the Holy Spirit was going to come down. They never dreamed they were going to be born again. They were going to experience the greatest thing that ever happened to them in their lives. They're going to be, wow, this all makes sense. Jesus was the Messiah. And if I want to continue to fellowship with these people, I have to stay here. Because there aren't any churches in Ankara and Rome and anywhere else in the rest of the Roman Empire, they weren't any yet, so they said, we're going to stay here. But it was a problem, a good problem, because they were resident, we call them resident aliens. They now wanted to live there, but they don't have any social services. Nobody, they're not anybody's roles, and the food program was very important. It was a good problem. But it was a problem that created a conflict. For, just imagine here in Rochester, if we had, there was some reason, a revival, because that's what, that's what Pentecost was, a revival. Let's say a revival happened. Or maybe there's some political problem. And all of a sudden, they dumped off people in the Rochester airport, Jerusalem airport, tens of thousands of them. And they were inclined, as they were here, to want to go to church. And all of a sudden, not just Browncroft, but Browncroft too, we, we don't have an empty seat in our services and there's people lined up to come into the church and they're parking on the grass and this, that, and the other thing. Guess what? We'd love that problem, wouldn't we? We'd welcome that. But it doesn't mean it would be easy. That's what's going on here. Now, when you first look at this problem, the Hellenistic Jews, those were Greek speakers who were from other countries now living in Jerusalem, are complaining against the home team the Aramaic widows, they're widows too, and they have a need, but they live there. Their grandmother lives there. Their cousins live there. They're complaining that they're, not, they're at the end of the line. Now, at first glance, listen very carefully, you could see this as a prejudice problem, right? It kind of, and perhaps there even was some. In other words, all of a sudden, things were working just fine before all these expats before these other people came in, and it made maybe it's not it, maybe it is a little biased or prejudiced that those people are in the back of the line. I don't know. We don't know that, but we want to run there. It's easy to go there. This is a this is a this is a, a, a prejudice problem. It's easy to go there. Then it's easier to go there now. Why? Because of course prejudice and bias is a problem in human hearts then and now. And maybe there was some there, but I would suggest to you that that's not the real problem. It's not what you have here, and the disciples figured this out, the apostles, 
It's a paradigm problem. The real problem, because they all wanted people to come to their church, and they were grateful, read the first five chapters, for people to come from other nations. They wanted that. But the problem here was, at this point, if you read the first five chapters, not only were the apostles the ones giving all the sermons, when they came with their goods and services and sold their property and had money to help the church out that was the basis for the common fund, they laid it, we looked at this last week, at the apostles' feet. They, they, the apostles were lined up right at the end of every service. And you income, here's some clothes I don't need, I, I want to share, here's some food, here's the money from the proceeds of the land. And they gave it to the apostles. And then when the service was over out at the back of the wherever, the apostles stood there and said, you can have this and you can have that. That's how they ran the church. It ran that way for a while, but guess what? It wasn't working anymore. And the real complaint here, if you read carefully, although on surface level, the Greek-speaking widows are complaining because the people in the front of the line were these Palestinian widows, the Hebraic widows, but really the complaint was at the apostles. And what they really needed here was a change of how they functioned. And fortunately... These apostles were wise enough and humble enough to change what they did. But they weren't just solving a crisis. Like, I can't wait till this is over. They were creating a new way of being the church. This is what I want you to hear. This isn't just solving a problem. It's a way it's going to change the church forever and ever. We'll see this in weeks to come. Not only are more people needed to run the church... Okay, we just got seven more. I'm talking about leaders. Not only are more people needed, don't, don't miss this, different kinds of people are needed. This is where Bible study helps. Why, why waste a small paragraph on Philip and Procurus and all these names I can't even say? Nick Canner and Tom. I'll tell you why. Because none of them are Jewish names. They're all Greek names. They're Hellenists. Okay, these guys aren't so, these, guys, these, these apostles are, are not so dumb. They're saying, listen, if we want to solve this problem, we don't just need seven more bodies or 107 more bodies. We need the kinds of people that are going to make this work. And they're going to pick Hellenists because the church is growing and changing in demography. And not only that, I love this little end of verse five. So there's this guy, that guy, the other guy. And then Nicholas from Antioch, wait for a drum roll, a convert to Judaism. What does that mean, Rob? He's not even Jewish. Now you think, what's the big deal? But in this case, it's huge. Even Peter chapters later can barely choke out a message to non-Jews. It takes a while. Most even the Christians and the apostles at this point, they're grateful the church is growing by leaps and bounds. But in their mind, because they need a new vision too, they don't realize that the church is going to go beyond the Jewish people. It's not there yet. But God knows that. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God knew that. And even here in this passage, they pick seven Hellenists, just means Greek speakers, who are, happen to be Jewish in this case, but they're connected to, let's say, the widows, and they even get a guy who wasn't even racially, nationally, ethnically Jewish. Okay? God's doing something amazing here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't, you should. You don't only do your Bible homework, you need to do your history homework. One of the great martyrs of the church, 20th century, great pastor and writer, 
lost his life because he was willing to challenge Adolf Hitler, German pastor, but wrote many books, one called Life Together, about community, said these words. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. We need a new vision. The widows speaking up in this context leads to the expansion of church leadership, which almost immediately leads to a, not only a better church, but a bigger one. So I don't know who the widows are right now. In other words, analogy, analogously speaking, who are the widows? But we've got to start listening to who they are. Because this is how the church of Jesus Christ grows. Number one, embrace a new vision. Two, we need to accept the challenge, right? And I'm talking here about serving, the challenge. The crisis here in Acts 6 signals a new and dramatic movement of the Spirit to redistribute spiritual authority. Let me tell you something that's interesting. We'll see this as the days go on. Acts chapter 6, the 12 made this important decision. By the time you get to a few more chapters, I think it's Acts 15. After Acts 15, you never hear of the disciples again. Talk about the apostles, I'm sorry. Except for Peter, who writes two letters. But other than that, it's like they fell into a hole. Okay? Because guess what? By the time you get to... Acts 15, 16, 17, the church of Jerusalem almost shuts its doors. There's there's so much persecution. And and it scatters, and the whole center of Christianity moves outside of Israel into Europe. And before too, too long, the people leading it have never heard Jesus speak. They wouldn't know Jesus, you know, and they didn't hear him speak. They, They just heard his words through other people. They'd never been to Jerusalem. They didn't speak Aramaic. They'd never been to the Sea of Galilee. It didn't matter anymore. Because the church had changed, mainly through people, okay? Mainly through people. And perhaps I would say this. Not only did they change how they function, and they had to bring new leaders in to accomplish the mission of the church, but perhaps even more importantly than more people needed to get into the game of serving, they needed to change to accomplish what God really wanted to do in their lives. Because serving is not just something the church needs to to accomplish its mission. Your serving is what you need to accomplish to become a follower of Jesus, to become a full, uh, experienced, fully devoted disciple. Let me tell you, we we have four habits here. Some of you know this. In, In our habits, they're on the wall out here, their, their discipleship habits are really designed, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't do a lot of thinking on this right out of the Bible, but we're just trying to make this simple. And here's our four habits, for those of you who don't know them. Spend time with God, which is prayer and the word. That's number one. Um, spend time with others, accountable community, right? Um, know and use your gifts, which I'm talking about this morning, and share your faith. Now, these are not necessarily linear. You could come to the church on your first day and decide, I'm going to share my faith the second day. But they are progressive. And I would say this, the first two habits, which are very, very important, 
knowing the word of God and prayer and accountable community. But you might say that's the intake part of the Christian faith. In other words, I'm growing like a plant. I'm being nurtured. Psalm 1, you know, a tree by rivers of water and its leaves shall not wither and it grows strong. I need that. But it doesn't stop there. Those two habits, you might say, are trying to create in you a, qua- a, a quality of, 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 of Christ-likeness, a passion to be able to start joining the ministry. And what happens with a lot of people, not a few, is they get past the end of habit two and they say, listen, um, someone else can do it. And the Christian faith just becomes more about intake, right? Another Bible study and another uh, kind of community. And here's what happens to a lot of people. I don't know if this is you. After a while, even if your pastor's awesome, even if your small group is awesome, even if you are are a, a, a super student of the Bible, eventually things get a little boring. And you might even get a little critical. And you think, I don't even understand why this is the case, but what you don't realize is you've stopped halfway through. If you really want to experience the life that God talks about, the joy of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, wisdom and understanding, you really want to know what it means fully, more fully to be a follower of Jesus, you need to accept the challenge to serve. That's what this passage is about. Now, there's many, many examples I could give here at Browncroft Community Church. One of the benefits of being the pastor now, you know, uh, for eight, 19 years, whatever the number is, I've gotten to know a lot of people. And I, I could, if I had time, I could share 50 stories, some of you in this room, of people who are models of what I'm preaching here. But I'm only going to share one because I only have so much time. But I think this story will be an inspiration, and it represents many of you. Kim DeRosa. I met Kim not long after she came here um, eight or nine years ago. And when she came here, she was a single mom. She was, she was a Christian, but unengaged in her faith. She was on the margins, right? But people started talking to her, not necessarily me, although I, I got to know her a little bit. But people were talking to her and one person after another person invited her. And I've watched her now over the years go from one area of service to another. And very, very recently, she went from two or three levels in to lead something new, which got my attention to tell you this story. And I said, Kim, can I just ask you about your journey of serving at Browncroft? And she shared these words. Listen carefully. I found my way to serving after only attending Browncroft for several months. This was eight years ago. A voice in my head was saying, to take another step in my faith. I tried to ignore it with things like, am I qualified? Do I have the time? But I finally surrendered to God's will and took the first step by talking to someone at the next steps table in the lobby. Kim's the red plaid uh, uh, second from your left, I think. they, They connected me to the guest service team where I started as a door greeter. That was the start of my serving experience where I found God fulfilling, excuse me, filling my spirit with his joy as I welcomed guests through the door. I remembered my first day coming to BCC not knowing a soul in the building and how the greeters made me feel like I had been there forever. So to give back meant a great deal to me personally. Then I first found my way into serving with students, to this picture, six years ago. When after much prayer, I decided to take the role as a small group co-leader for sixth grade girls now in the 10th grade. Okay, she's been doing it for four years. This was a very different path for me 
and not one I ever thought I could do. My first experience was terrifying, but this role has changed my life. I feel like these students are like my own children. And to watch them grow spiritually through the years is such a blessing. It has opened my heart and allowed me to be vulnerable in ways I wouldn't have been. Listen to this sentence. Most importantly, it has grown me much closer to God on a much deeper level. Okay? I even recently started leading a youth group, Mother and Daughter Bible Study, which has also strengthened my faith. Another thing I never would have thought I could do. What I love most about serving is watching God work and the closeness that comes out of each experience. Let me say something to you guys, ladies. We talk about, you know, our language. We want to grow deeper and wider as a church. In other words, deeper in our faith, wider, reaching more people. I would say to you without even thinking about it, the most important criteria, the most important element of growth is right there. Do you need good sermons? Yes. And if you need a better sermon guy, get one, okay? If you need good music, yes. Do you need to be a student of your Bible? Yes. All of these things are important. Do you need an accountable community? Yes, you do. But the most important thing that had to change if the church is gonna grow is people need to get in the game because it's in serving. It's in, 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 you may start here and end up here because your gifts multiply and compound as you invest them, as Kim's story was. This is where your service. You know, I was just reading the book of Nehemiah recently and you know, the whole, the whole building of the wall was 52 days. And maybe he was back and forth for a few years, but this is the thought I had, if you know the book of Nehemiah. I thought, here's this guy with an interesting life. He worked for the cupbearer, the king. I mean, he probably went to the Harvard of Babylon. I mean, he had an interesting life. But I thought, you know what? When someone's asking him something, some, you know, in eternity, or if you're going to read, he's going to say, listen, what I did, the most important part of my life, without even thinking about it, was saying yes to the crisis of, of, of the broken wall and get doing it by far, even though that didn't take that long, that was the most significant part of my life. Right? That's what God built me for. I think that's true for every single person. Are you doing it? Am I doing it? You need to have a new vision of the church. I need it to accept. You need to accept the challenge. Get off of the intake part of being a Christian and get really into the experience of growing as a Christian because you're serving in the electricity of God and the power of God is working through you. Finally, last point, you need to raise your expectations on yourself and on the life of this church. You know what's so interesting? This last word, verse seven, you know, it's a summary statement. He's a good writer, Right? This is already this is this already has happened. He's sharing this historically. He's giving you a he, he's giving you a summary statement. He gives this is the fourth one. If you were to read the book of Acts straight, this is number four in just six chapters where they sum up such and such grew and this is what happened. But what's so interesting about this statement, verse seven, goes back to the importance of Bible study. Pay attention. Do a little homework if you want to really see the, the, the beauty and the power. Okay. This fourth growth summary not only mentions that they grew. But it mentions that priests came to the faith. Now, this is a, to you and I, we might just read it. I'm sure Luke had a smile on his face when he's reading. 
wait till they read this one. So the word of God spread, got it. The numbers of discipleships increased rapidly. Luke, you already told us that in verse 1. Drum roll. And a number, a very large number, of the mafia. Okay, no, I'm just trying to get your attention. But the priests, that's what he's trying to say, came to the faith. Why is that so shocking? Because if you read the six chapters, in fact, read all the Gospels. Remember, they didn't like Jesus. Remember, they arrested Jesus. Remember, they crucified Jesus. Who did it? The priests, for the most part. There were some good priests, of course. But the people who primarily were trying to put a stop to the Christian church was the religious establishment. I think you know that. And the people who threw Peter already and John in jail, right? A few chapters later, James, the brother John, gets killed. This is not, this is high stakes. Are the priests. And there's no hint prior to these six chapters, anyway, if you're reading the street forward, that the priest class, now, if he one thing, he said, well, and there's this one guy, you know, uh, Cornelius the priest. Uh, one guy became, a, no, he says, and a large number of priests came to the faith. What's the point? It's a remarkable demonstration of what God can do through everyday people who not only believe the gospel, where we started, Acts 5.42, but who live an obedient life to the faith. Twice in this passage, the word disciples is used. Verse 1 and verse 7. You say, well, I hear you use that word all the time. Not in the book of Acts, you don't. It's the first time it's used. The last time, if you're reading chronologically, the word disciples used, it's used in the Gospels, and then it was people who literally followed Jesus. First the 12, but people that followed him around. Those were the disciples. Now that term's being used for people who never saw Jesus, never heard Jesus speak. Many of them never even lived in Palestine until now. They're people like you and me, right? And what this, what, what, what this last little priest comment to me says is, listen, don't underestimate what God can do to people who, look at the last verse, become obedient to the faith. Who say like Kim said. I love that. I was going to do this. When the, when it, one thing to be a greeter, which is a great thing, because God, a greeter, changed her life. Then someone said, Kim, will you be a leader of small group uh, girls? And she said, it terrified me. But she did it anyway. She became obedient to the faith. And little did she know that would be years of investment that would turn her into a new kind of leader that's now doing something even greater. And I would say this. I hope if, if Kim's here, I hope she'd say, Rob, your sermons are okay. Thank you. You're a good guy. But that's not what's firing her life up. What's firing her life up is her ministry. And the same should happen to you. So here's I want to close. Just a challenge, right? The challenge to grow, the, the, the challenge of growth. This is what I want you guys to think about in, in Aaron and in, 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 um, Kelly were talking about this earlier. I want you to think about where God might want you. Now, if you're already serving in the life of this church, here's my message to you. I hope this message was, a, was an encouragement and amen. Thank you for what you do. Keep on doing it. And, 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 and keep being you and keep serving. And maybe the challenge for you is, like Kim's case, maybe if you've been serving in some area for a season, maybe God wants you to take a step up and find someone to take your role. But thank you for what you're doing. You're being the church. 
But for some of you, you'd say, well, whether it's I'm new to the church, is I'm in a season of life, I was raising, whatever your issues were, and you're not serving, I would say this, accept the challenge. Allow God, whether it's a small, immediate need, as Pete mentioned, there's immediate needs, if you were for the opening video. There's things that we need people to do tomorrow, and then there's some things that are more long-term. You can go to that website, there's a button that says immediate needs there's another button that says serving which is broader needs don't listen the game's not till tomorrow night okay (laughs) take 10 minutes and do this today and you can pray about it and you can talk to somebody okay we're not gonna uh, you know come to your house and grab you if you sign up but I think it will be the most important thing that some of us in this room do because that's where your faith is gonna, be, is gonna, is gonna come alive. Amen? Now, um, let me say this too. Aaron mentioned this uh, when he was up here talking about, or I shouldn't say Aaron, Aaron's our student minister, he mentioned this to me, but Kim's story in, inspired one immediate need. There, there's many, I can't share them all, now we'd be here for half an hour. But there's one need that we have that's kind of urgent, and it's for... So I'm going to take a minute to say what it is. It's for male leaders, both for the 6th and 7th grade boys. We have one in each of those areas, but we need another one, and we need them, like, tomorrow. And I, I would love to stand here next Sunday and go, we done, it's done. But I'm not going to, I don't know who you are in this room, but if God would say to you, you know what? I don't know if I know what that means. I'm not sure I have that kind of time. I don't think I'm qualified, but, 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 but I'm willing to ask a question. You can talk to Aaron today. You can talk to Trisha Smith today. We can talk, put you in touch with somebody. Maybe that's your call. Amen? But I hope you'll all go to that website and look for something. Stand up. I want to pray for us and commission us, in a sense, before you walk out of here today as a way to talk, uh, pray this sermon into our hearts to raise our expectation. But let me just give you a, a 30 second um, update on something before I pray. If you were here last Sunday, so this is just giving you a quick uh, word, different uh, topic. I talked about this REACH Initiative mini campaign. And many of you got a letter from me, so that's why I'm not gonna, I don't wanna reiterate all these things, but I'm just highlighting many of you who were here last Sunday. We said, we hand these out, they're in the seat backs in front of you to pray or to make a financial commitment to give them back Sunday, next Sunday. Some of you already gave them back and put these in the boxes. So I'm thanking you. We got a number of them just last week, but I'm reminding you if you weren't here or if you read the letter and weren't here that this is here for you. I hope you'll take it seriously and participate. This is out there. This, um, it's just an FAQ sheet. So if you, I'm not getting into the details of why we're doing it, how this fits into the larger vision of the church, but this FAQ sheet will help you if you want to take one. And today, okay, um, in 10 or 15 minutes, right here on this, we're, we're having a little, we call them elder dialogues, leadership dialogues, and there are opportunities every so often to ask questions, and that's the topic of one we're having today. So if you'd like to stay for that, you can do that and just, you know, we say noon. We may start even a little bit before noon. We won't be long to just to talk a little bit about this. Amen?
All right, let me pray for us. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here on this platform. Uh, I'm so grateful today, uh, Lord, that I can uh, still uh, call this my church home to be the pastor of this wonderful, amazing uh, group of, of men and women and students. And Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have done in my life. I've gotten far more out of my service to this church, oh, so much more than I've given. And I'm so grateful, Lord. And I'm grateful for the Kim DeRosas of this church, hundreds of them in front of me even now. And I pray, Lord, you would help us as a church to embrace a new vision. Help us, Lord, to see the church in ways we haven't seen it before. Help us, Lord, to listen to the voices maybe we haven't been listening to and get, uh, take a step up and get out of the way. Do whatever we need to do, Lord, to accept the challenge uh, and to... Uh, raise our expectations uh, to be the kind of church you want us to be in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.